Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas on Tuesday. I believe it's Tuesday. I get these holiday weeks confused. But Tuesday, uh, January the 2nd, Happy New Year to everyone. And we say Happy New Year to our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, Happy New Year. Welcome. Well, Happy New Year to you, uh, Silvio, and to your family and uh, your, your about-to-be family. Uh, <laughs> the uh, it expansion. Was... We, we have an expansion. Well, it's not has not expanded yet, but he's coming. Okay. <laughs> well, we will welcome him. Yes. Uh, yeah. Has a name been picked out? Well, here's the here's the the great part, Bill. Here's the great part. His name is going to be Silvio. Huh. Now there's a there's a reason for that. My grandfather, my father, me, my son, and him. So he's going to be number five. Now uh. technically not number five because not all the initials are the same. So it's not technically number five. But it is number five as far as Silvio. Oh, so right. that uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Sure, sure. Well, is is um, um, and that's five people in the family with the, with the same name. Uh, yes, and I, I'm the third one. My son yeah. is number four, and then now the grandson, when he arrives, he will be number five. I think that's pretty exciting. I I do too, and and uh, it's interesting. I was at a in a a, a small gathering a few uh, nights ago, uh, and all the men in the room were named Bill. <laughs> but they're not related. Obviously. No, not related. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. No, I this one uh, in our family is it's kind of a interesting thing because I had no. I mean, I didn't insist on it. I mean, that was not something that I said it should happen. But I understand that my mother, before she passed away, she talked to my son. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the influential conversation. Uh, and he is actually going to have the exact same initials as my late father. Uh, so that's the that's going to be the... Well, I, I think that tradition is very good, carrying on a name. Uh, it reminds people of family. It reminds people of, uh, you know, the people who, who made our world possible. So I'm, I'm, all for, I'm all for that tradition. And here's the interesting thing. I keep thinking of this kid, you know, 15, 16 years from now. He's in class, right? And somebody says, well, how did you get your name? And he says, well, actually, I got it all the way back to my... Not just my great grandfather, but my great great grandfather, uh, who was actually born my my grandfather, who would have been, I guess, his great grandfather or would be. Uh, he was actually born in 1892, which means he was born uh, before the Spanish American War, when Cuba was still a Spanish colony. How is that for a little history? I mean, this wow. kid can, can teach a lot of history simply by talking about his name. So I don't know. I think it's I, I agree with you. I love tradition. And I guess I love tradition <laughs> even more when it has to do with me. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's interesting that there, that there are some people who have had to change their names because uh, usually the last name, because uh, some figure arrives on the scene in the news who becomes notorious. And and they have the same name. Right, so we, yeah. we've had we've had cases in American courts where somebody I, I know that back in, in the 40s, there were people uh, perfectly innocent, decent people named Hitler. And they yes. would go to go to court and you could get your name changed. Now, that would be a tough name to, to yeah, carry around. It, it yeah, would, that would yes. be a tough one to 
to carry it out. And to my knowledge, there have not been any dictators or horrible people named after or have a similar name. Yeah. So uh, I, I think, but yeah, I, I can understand how bloody that, I mean, how terrible that would have been uh, after World War II to say, here's our new employee, James Hitler. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be tough. That'd be a tough, that'd be a tough act. Well, you know, uh, it's very interesting about names that, that they generally, it was always believed in Hollywood, for example, that uh, many people changed their names when they went to Hollywood uh, to have a, an attractive uh, stage. They call them stage names. But yet, you can get used to almost any name if you hear it enough. I'm sure at the beginning of World War II that the name Eisenhower didn't strike most Americans as a very American name, especially for a general who was going to lead us through the war. But yet it's now, you see here Eisenhower today, it's common. I mean, uh, who General Eisenhower, of course. Yeah. Uh, people, people just get used to it. Well, Lincoln is another one, too. I would think that that was not a very common name until Abraham Lincoln came on right. board. So, right, right. Um, and so, so yes, uh, but... So how was your new year? Did they do anything special in New York? I mean, they always do. That, well, what was important about New York in this new year is there wasn't anything special that happened. They really did have concerns that the radical Palestinian groups were going to try to, uh, in some way, interfere with the lowering of the ball that says 2024. They had interfered with a lot of things earlier in the week, you'll remember. They stopped traffic, uh, people trying to get home. Uh, right before Christmas. Uh, and so they thought it was going to happen again, but it didn't. There were, there were no disruptions. Right. Well, that's good. That's good. I, I, I'm getting tired of these people. Yes. You know, well, it, it, I'm getting tired because they're always finding, uh, they want to express their feelings, Bill, in in places where they're interrupting your flight, uh, as in JFK. Yes, 60 flights were inter- were, were, were delayed because yeah. of the- and and then they're blocking traffic, and now they want to stop. Uh, I understand they were they wanted to stop Christmas. I think uh, also. Well, yes. Well, they they uh, would they were marching down uh, various arteries in New York, uh, saying uh, uh, while you while you are shopping, the bombs are dropping, and everything like that. Right. And uh, I don't know how, how, what they thought the people on the sidewalks could do about this. But I don't think that they made any friends. And that is right. it's really quite stupid to do something that makes an enemy when you're trying to convince people to take your position. Right, which makes you wonder what their real intention is. Well, that's, you the, know, yeah, yeah, sure. what their real intention is. Oh, by the way, they, they're getting good at rhyming, aren't they? Oh, yes. Chopping, because, dropping. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. It's, well, they, they you know, it, I think people here are beginning to realize that some of the people associated with the Palestinians, only some, I, I stress that, are actually anti-American. Well, sure. And, and they, you know, it's, you know, where the, where, where the big Satan, Israel is only the little Satan. Right. But, but I think people are realizing that groups like Hamas are really fundamentally anti-American and the support they get in the United States, aside from people who are themselves Palestinian, often come from Marxist groups. I think that's something that I wish the press would point out. But right. many of the people doing the, the the worst of the demonstrating are really Americans who are associated with old communist groups, and uh, they they grab onto whatever cause 
is uh, popular at the moment or present at the moment, and they join it, but their interest is not in those people. It's in bringing down the United States. That's it. That's it. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. These are not, uh, these are not the kinds of people that I would want to live under. Oh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, they talk a good game about equality and all of that, but I would not want to live under these uh, people because they don't really believe in any democracy. But but anyway, so no no snow forecast. Uh, I guess I must have read the wrong forecast. That well, uh, I, I think it was the mayor, the mayor of New York, who was talking about uh, a lot of snow coming. So oh, well, that maybe may maybe later in the week. I, I mean, I only okay. I only check the coming huh. hours. All so, right. Uh, so you're it, probably right. I mean, it's not happening right now. But the mayor, I saw a little clip that he was talking about that there may be some heavy snow later. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But big story that hit the, you know, hit the news, I guess, uh, Bill, before uh, we came on today, and that is the resignation of the president of Harvard. I am not really surprised. I mean, I know she really didn't do a good job when she went before Congress, but I think what really killed her is if you're going to be the president of a university, really, I don't care what university, but especially Harvard, that my goodness, you better not have stories of plagiarism. No, I mean uh, that's a little too much, Bill. I I fully agree. Um, uh, it, it's something that you, you know. I, I don't know what went through her mind when she was selected. If she had any fear uh, that there would be an expose of the plagiarism issues, she probably didn't think of it. She probably. You know, didn't think that somebody would look back at her a PhD dissertation or an article she read because she certainly knew that she had plagiarized. Right. And I, I'm I'm amazed that, you know, she. I think I think people who who are appointed to positions like this, the first thing they should get is a good lawyer, who who will put them through the paces and right. say, look, is there anything that we have to worry about here? And uh, because if she had a good lawyer, that that would be one of the first things to come up. Did you ever do anything uh, in violation of university rules? And maybe she would say no and not tell the truth about it. But she might say yes. And he might say, well, if it's yes, maybe you better not take this job. Right. Well, that's it. And and I, I just feel that, of course, there's a bigger picture here. And, and that is that a lot of donations stopped. Oh, yes. And so she was beginning to cause, I mean, there was an article that came out where some students, I think I sent you a copy of that, those students who were complaining yes. about the value of their degree. Oh, and absolutely. How pe people were making fun of them back home. Hey, you know, what kind of a university are you going to? <laughs> so that, I think, became a factor. Uh, I also think the donations. Became, so I think when you sum it up, you almost have to say the best thing is for her to go. Well, but sure. I, I also think, Bill, that this she's a good example of identity politics. Absolutely. And, and how you hurt people by putting them, maybe putting them in positions where maybe they shouldn't be. Well, that's absolutely correct. I mean, uh, I doubt very much if, if she, that she would have gotten the job had she been an ordinary white guy. Uh, and that doesn't mean that, that anything bad about appointing people of color. Why not? Why shouldn't there be people? of color in those positions but they obviously harvard did not do its due diligence in really going over her background because from what i understand there were things in their background besides these things that were very controversial she for example ruined the career or is accused allegedly we should always say that allegedly 
ruined the career of a young black professor who wouldn't go along with the party line on crime. Uh, he, 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 he you know, said, no, crime is not caused by what you think it is. It's caused by other things. And she ruined him. I mean, just ruined him. Uh, apparently, uh, there were some... Is that other- the lady, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but is that the lady who um, has been very vocal... No, that, that's Carol Swain that you're thinking. Okay, yeah, uh, that, yeah, that lady has also been very vocal, and she's no, a this, professor too, I think. Yes, and uh, yes, uh, she uh, teaches at Vanderbilt. Uh, and um, the, no, this was a young Harvard professor, young man, uh, who did some very original work on the subject of crime, and she didn't like his conclusions. <laughs> you know, you see, I laughed, but I shouldn't. Make, but I mean, I guess I laughed because if, if there's going to be a place for debate, it should be a university. Well, well, that's the point, and that is that's the point. A lot of people are trying to make that that uh, uh, a university should be an open place for debate. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't criticize the person who's making foolish statements. You can, and that's part of it. Also, they, they you know, once this thing started to erupt, people looked back on uh, on individuals who were banned at Harvard, and they, and the things they said were actually things that. A lot of people say, but some group at Harvard doesn't like it, or at another university, they get banned, right. or, or, or you can't invite them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when when this woman got in trouble, she's yelling, free speech, free speech, I have free speech. Right. Well, if you do, other people do as well. Right. Look, she, she got into a bad situation now. I think she probably wishes now that she had never testified before Congress. Because right. that's where this got started. And apparently, and I have not read her, her statement, so I should say that, but uh, I, I got a, 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 a just brief of, of it before we went on the air, that she wasn't very nice in her statement. I mean, I, that she she was not contrite at all. Now, I'll have to check that. to, to make Right, yeah, I, I have not read it either. There is a joke going around, uh, as always, the Babylon Bee yes. is on top of things uh, from oh, the yes. humor. And they're saying that uh, her resignation speech was the Gettysburg Address. Right. So I think, you know, that that I mean, just humor, of course. But yes, but that is her problem, that every time she says something, people are are going to question whether it's original or not. And if you're the president of a university, that's just a bad place to be. It sure uh, is. In, in that situation. So let's see who they they come up with now. But I think that the larger, you know, all of this points to to a much larger problem it's not just replacing these people it's replacing the culture that is in these universities that's right and and these universities i think have become you know basically one direction and oh um, absolutely that's part of the very much a part of the problem i think that's why so many people were so angry at some of the things she said, some of the things she did, that she was getting away with things that no ordinary student would get away with. I mean, how do you preside over a university and its honor system when when things you have done would have gotten you expelled? Right. I mean, that's, uh, you know, if there was one minor incident, you know, back in high school, that's something else. But but this was this was fairly recent. And uh, I don't know what she does now. I don't know what the terms of her resignation were she may uh they may have given her the opportunity to stay on at harvard Mm -hmm. uh, as a as a professor i don't know if she'd want to under these circumstances Um, yeah i mean i don't know i mean i don't know that either It, it, it happened so i guess within the last hour so i'm not familiar with all the details other than the headline 
But I just think, you know, if I were her or she would ask my opinion, I would say, you know, a little sabbatical might do you some good. Yes. And, and just get away from all of this and, and maybe along the way issue an apology and maybe rethink all of this uh, woke that you've been imposing uh, in your university. You know, maybe, maybe it's time to reconsider all of this. You know, if I could just bring this into the conversation, Bernie Goldberg, you know, the gentleman who I think used to be with CBS and wrote yes. a book, he just uh, pointed out that somebody who used to work with the New York Times wrote a, a very strong article against the New York Times saying that they've become that way too, which is one oh, it, direction. Yes, that's uh, Bennett is his name. He is, yeah. His brother is a, a senator from Colorado. Oh, okay. And um, and uh, he was the, uh, the op-ed editor. And his great sin was that he allowed to be published in an op-ed piece written by Senator Cotton of Arkansas. Right. That's right. That's it, right. It apparently offended some of the uh, African-American employees that uh, that Cotton was even allowed to submit an article to the New York Times because they didn't agree with him. And the publisher of the Times, who's a weak kind of not a very bright guy, uh, it comes from these, you know, it's a family owned paper. So you get you get whatever uh, uh, genes occurred that year. Uh, and and he he went he went along with the people objecting. And he said, uh, it, 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 we cannot have a disharmonious paper and uh, Bennett has to go. I mean, instead of defending Bennett and saying, look, disagree and disagree. But, you know, we're going to have a lot of uh, columnists who, who write for The Times who you're going to disagree with. So he set a terrible example, a really yeah. terrible example. Well, and, you, would, you would think, Bill, that if you have a newspaper, the one thing you want to make your newspaper interesting, if nothing else, is that you go to the columnists. And you read opposing points of view. Yes. You know, it doesn't mean that the paper agrees with one or the other, but at least they, you know, the reader has the opportunity to see both both arguments. I mean, I enjoy exactly. that. Exactly. And and that, you know, if, if a newspaper is not doing that because they're just going in one direction, uh, I mean, the, the New York Times will always have people who will buy the paper out of tradition, I guess. Yes. But they lose me. Well, they they are losing. I mean, I think I'd imagine they're going to lose some people. Uh, the only reason the Times exists right now is because of uh, of digital publication that they can publish across the country easily. Uh, and in a country of three hundred and thirty nine people, you can get enough people to buy the New York Times to keep it in business. Right. Uh, they they um, uh, are a paper that is in decline. They are in decline. They have been in decline. Uh, they don't have the name that they used to have. And that's very sad because I used to work for the New York Times. Right. And I was very proud to work for the New York Times. That doesn't mean there weren't problems there. There were. Uh, but I, I think that the current publisher and his father before him have done at the Times a great deal of damage because they've turned it into basically a politically correct, woke right. paper uh, and one that is completely intolerant. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's not what it used to be. And that's a shame. Because what it used to be was a good newspaper that had a liberal editorial page. Yes. But I remember lots of important people were, would write columns for, I mean, senators and governors oh, and sure. potential presidents. I mean, uh, all kinds of good people and important people would write. It was like a if you really wanted to get the word out, that's what you would want to do is post a an op-ed piece in The New York Times. Ben, and I, I don't think that's happening anymore. 
Well, Bill, one big topic that that I like to talk to you about today being our first show of 2024. Uh, I think you know this is an election year, right, Bill? Uh, well, they, they say it's going to be an election it. year. Right. I mean, I, I'm beginning to have some doubts. Right. Well, they, they may, nobody may be on the ballot this year. Yes. You know, the blue states will take out uh, Trump and the red states will will take out uh, Biden. So maybe Robert Kennedy wins the election. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we, this business about taking names off ballots, we have never done that in American history. And I, I have to believe that the Supreme Court will intervene. Uh, no, I and, agree. Uh, now, I don't know then what rule would, would, would be established for taking names off the ballot. Uh, it seems to me that that is where the political parties come in and that they have to be self-regulating. Right. I think one of the, the, the reasons for a lot of the trouble we're having with these election laws is the fact that the political parties are really no longer political parties in the true sense of the word. Uh, a, um, a, a a political party runs itself. It runs itself. It doesn't. It doesn't require the permission of the people, or of a particular group. It runs itself. It's a private organization, and should make its own rules. And uh, they, we remember back in the early 1970s, there appeared on the scene a man named George McGovern, who was a senator from South Dakota, and he got the Democratic nomination, and he invented a, a group of rules called the, which became known as the McGovern rules and that the party would be run according to the McGovern rules, which gave great sway to primaries uh, and to, uh, uh, to activists, but, but reduced the power of the professionals and the local leaders who the party had elected. The result was that we had people running for president who nobody knew or nobody knew right. much about. Uh, the old system, which we used to be called smoke-filled rooms, well, maybe they were smoke-filled rooms. But, you know, it's interesting when you look back on that era and all the bad things about that system, that these people never went to a convention and nominated a jerk. Right. They, knew, they, knew that they knew who they were talking about. They knew who was running. They knew about them. They knew where to get information. They were, you could call them professional politicians. There's nothing wrong with that. They, they knew their craft. Right. And uh, as a result, the parties ran much more smoothly. Uh, the the presidential campaigns usually were, if not restricted, uh, essentially uh, influenced by the more important candidates and the better qualified candidates. Uh, what you have now is a, a free for all. I mean, you have you have Republican debates. With 14 people on the stage, you can't have a debate with 14 people on the stage. You have the activists uh, basically running the party, and the activists are always the most extreme element of the party. They're the ones who are the most active. Uh, and you don't have that professionalism. They try to modify the McGovern rules in the Democratic Party to require that a certain number of the delegates to the convention have certain standing in the party, that either they were party officers or local leaders. So you would get that stability that's required. Uh, but that kind of thing has faded away. And these, I mean, you have these these presidential campaigns where somebody, you know, who's... who's uh, you know, who once won a, won a high school treasurer election uh, is presented as a candidate for president of the United States. Right. But super delegates, I think that's what they call those. That's people. what they were called. Super yeah, delegates. The super delegates. But I don't think they did anything super no, uh, they, because they, they haven't really produced results. But I, I think being an election year, Bill, 
that I, I, I wrote this little post over at the American Thinker uh, suggesting or, or saying that, that Trump is probably going to be the nominee and you yes. should consider Mike Pompeo as vice president. Yes, it's a good and, post that you wrote. And, and I, uh, I base it on the fact that I think we're going to be doing a lot of talking yes. about foreign policy in 2024 because, look, I don't want any of this to happen. I don't want to see American troops fighting. But when you see all these trouble spots, I mean, just write them down. China. I mean, China is now talking about going to Taiwan. Uh, yes. And well, they're they... talking loudly about it. And <laughs> then you got a... North Korea over here acting up again. Well, uh, there's been a, there's been a great deal of talk about that, that if you go back and look at uh, the last 10 years, uh, we thought when the Soviet Union was defeated in the Cold War that that would be it. That they would they would go back into their box and that they would behave themselves uh, and uh, we we really in those days didn't think of China as a particular enemy of the United States maybe troublesome in some areas uh, some countries were not even factors Iran was not a friendly country but they were not much of a factor uh, and now look at it today you have you have the, the Russia uh, growing again as a world power very hostile to us, invading a European country. We never thought a European country would ever be invaded again. It's the first European country to be invaded, really, since World War II. You have China now as a very powerful adversary, building a military force that is larger than ours. Uh, then you have Iran, obviously trying to become a major player on the world scene. And one of the things they're doing is they are aligning themselves with Russia and China, and in the case of Russia, they're supplying uh, Russia with missiles. Uh, the, uh, Iran has, has missiles that Russia doesn't have. They're supplying Russia with missiles. That is remarkable right. and, and very dangerous. You know, Bill, uh, uh, if I could just, uh, forgive me for, for interrupting, but I just wanted to make a quick connection. Back in the days of the Cold War, that's what the Soviets did with Cuba. They, yes. they would use Cuba to fight these wars in Africa, and, and the, the idea was that this is how Castro paid him back, by, yes. by having Cuban soldiers fight in Africa, and they fought in a bunch of these wars. Also, you had Cuban supported by, I mean, Cuba supported by the Soviet Union, sticking its nose in Central America, and that seems to be happening now with Iran and all these little subsidiary uh, groups that they That's have. That's a very good point. Who because... are making all these, uh, I mean, they're the ones attacking merchant ships. Incredible. That's right. Yes, they have these 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 subsidiaries. They're like little vice presidents, uh, and uh, yes, those are called proxy wars, where they have a proxy doing the fighting. And uh, Iran has become the expert of that. Hamas is a proxy. Right. Uh, Hezbollah is a proxy. They're basically subdivisions of Iran, but That's they're right. they're not countries in and of themselves. And I'm sure that there are going to be other proxies. Uh, that Russia will develop around the world, and certainly China. If we are weak in Asia and we are not, we are not showing our strength in Asia. Uh, pro uh, then uh, uh, China will develop proxies of their own. That's uh, right. One of them could be uh, North Korea. Uh, another one could be Vietnam, uh, and and you will have that same situation. But the different power centers that are beginning to develop around the world are frightening. And I would agree with you. I, I like Mike Pompeo. He, uh, you know, he's a very bright guy. He graduated first in his class at West Point, and he was a very good Secretary of State. I think he would make an excellent candidate. I don't know if he'd want the job of Vice President. And mm -hmm. I think, and I think we don't even know at this point 
whether uh, Trump is going to make it to the to the conventions because you know the point has been made that up to now every time he gets in, into uh, legal trouble uh, his supporters get so angry that his support actually grows and that has been shown to be true but in these same polls people are asked well if he were convicted of something would you be for him and his, his support drops so we don't know what what will happen if he is convicted of something before the conventions right uh that you've got the spot prosecutor smith working for the justice department who clearly clearly is trying to get a conviction before the the conventions that's why he's asking that all these cases be moved forward and moved mm -hmm. up Right. And the, the Supreme Court has rebuffed him on, I think, one or two occasions on that. But he is trying to get uh, Trump into into the point where he faces jail time and to do it before the, the conventions. It might work. I don't know. I, things are so Well, we'll unusual. see. The yeah. things are, I was going to say, things are so crazy, really, with respect to all of that, that, uh, you know, I don't know if, it, if it's all going to work. Uh, but, it, you know, that is a danger to uh to president uh, trump no question about it but then you have on the other hand not exactly i mean i wouldn't bet you a lot of money that biden is going to be the nominee either no um, I, I think you're right because you know you look at you look at president biden and i keep asking myself how is this man going to have a debate how is this man going to stand for 30 minutes or 40 minutes on television and have a debate in the condition that he's in Yes. And I'm not, you know, again, I don't, I'm not making fun of the man. I say it with all due respect, but when you are in the condition he's in, there's got to be somebody in your family who tells you, I think reelection is a bad idea, Joe. Maybe, yes. maybe we ought to end this thing next January of 2025 and go to Delaware and spend our time in Delaware. Because when I see Joe Biden these days, it's really frightening, Bill. It frightening. is. It is, and I don't know how they're going to run a campaign. Now, the last time, they kept him in his basement, and he really didn't run a campaign. He, they made the campaign about Donald Trump, and that was a very smart move on the Democrats' part. I don't know if you could do that this time. I really don't. Uh, I, I think that if the system was working as it should work, that he wouldn't be permitted to work to run for president. I think there should be a requirement agreed on by both parties that a presidential candidate to get on the ticket would have to go through a complete physical examination and and a mental examination by a neutral medical authority and would have to pass. Right. Uh, th that should be a requirement. I mean, for I the president of the United States, the idea that we have an obviously impaired man in that job is frightening. If he got that 3 a.m. phone call uh, that they used to talk about, he might not even know where he is. Right. Well, that I mean, it's sad to say, but it's true. I mean, the I mean, just look at the man. You don't have to be a medical doctor. You don't have to be a psychiatrist. I just look at him. And what I see is someone who, frankly, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't put him to run my organization No, in the condition that he's in. And here we're talking about president of the United States. Yes. Well, and I could, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, the problems are a lot more complicated. Oh, and as we I learned, uh, you know, as we learned during the missile crisis and on 9-11, uh, the president cannot just say, OK, well, I'm going to take a nap right now because, uh, right. the you know, President Kennedy was up for days. And look at George Bush, what he went through uh, during that period. So, I mean, I don't think and I say this with all due respect again, I don't think that 
Joe Biden can do that, then you have to wonder who's going to make the decision for him yeah. uh, at three o'clock in the morning if he they cannot get him up. Uh, so it's all kinds of <coughs> issues like that with both President Trump and President Biden. I agree with you. So that's why we may not have these candidates, but we will have these problems. Uh, oh, China, yes. Putin, Iran, the border. The My concern on the border is terrorism, of course. When you've got that many people coming in, is it unreasonable to think that there may be a couple of terrorists? I don't think so. Uh, then you have the situation in Mexico where it's obvious that that you know that Mexico is having internal problems with the cartels. And then you have Venezuela, you have Cuba. Cuba is bringing in Chinese and and Russian military assets to the island. Absolutely. Uh, well, it could be another Cuban Missile Crisis bill. Exactly. I mean, you have these big power centers aligning themselves with little power centers. You know, we we talked before that you have uh, Russia and China emerging, uh, and they are, and then you have smaller power centers that are kind of getting in and being their ally. Uh, and we mentioned Iran. And there are countries that are unstable in uh, uh, in other uh, areas of the world. Venezuela is an exa- is an example. So we're we're right back to really where we started from of a world with a lot of uh, hostile elements, some of which are major elements, some of which are minor elements. But the period that we hoped for after the end of the Soviet Union uh, has not occurred. It's uh, we may have had it for a few years, but we are back in a lot of trouble. A lot of challenges, and we have a very weak president. Uh, we have a defense uh, 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 department that is below standard. Uh, our armed forces are not large enough. They're not well enough financed. Uh, they uh, are not attracting people. Uh, we can't even uh, fill the ranks of, of our voluntary army. Right. And we, we need a president who understands that, and we also need a vice president who understands that, and we'll start to take action. Right, and we don't have that right now, president oh, no. and vice president who understand oh. that, and, and these problems are not going away. That, that's, uh, uh, you know. No, they're, we, they're getting worse. They're getting worse, and the, the military, you mentioned recruiting, that concerns me a great deal because that will probably mean that if we get into a, a military problem that uh, there's going to be a draft because we don't have enough soldiers right now. We're not getting enough recruits. No, and you can be sure the recruits are of a lower order. Exactly. They've they've already lowered standards. So, you know, looking ahead to 2024, I I don't like what I see, Bill. I want to be optimistic. I, I hope that things work out, but there's just a lot of problems from a foreign policy standpoint. And that's why I said before, about Mike Pompeo, because I think the American people are going to look at whoever President Trump selects as a vice president, and they're going to say, can this person be president and deal with the foreign policy challenges that we face? <laughs> and that's where I thought Pompeo would would at least you know present himself as a serious man who would be able, at least he's got the experience, Bill, that, uh, that uh, is needed. So, Oh, yeah. I think we need, we absolutely need a serious Secretary of Defense, and we need a man like Pompeo, who uh, um, uh, I mean, I'm talking about the Vice Presidency now. He, yeah. A man who served, he served uh, with distinction as Secretary of State. Uh, he is a former officer, uh, very very respected. 
Uh, we we need more people in government like that. I mean, right. you look at the people that get appointed at the sub cabinet level in the Biden administration. They're a bunch of hacks and no, and I a know. bunch a bunch of ideologues from the left wing of the Democratic Party. Right. And, and we are not doing well in the world. Yeah. When and, when the Senate hearing bill, when the Senate hearing, they're asking a person to explain whether men and women are different. Yes. When, when that's what these Senate hearings have turned into, some people are coming up with some crazy ideas. You have to ask yourself, how, why were they nominated in the first place? That's right. And these are people who are going to make some very tough calls. And and I don't see a lot of serious people being nominated. But but anyway, Bill, we're going to have to wrap it up for this week. But I do want to thank you again. And I want to wish you a, a, happy, uh, a very happy new year. And uh, we got a lot to talk about this year. That's all I can say, Bill. Well, I look forward to our program next week. And yes, this is going to be a very tumultuous year. And I think Americans realize it. I think so. And I think in the article that you wrote at Urgent Agenda, that sense of of disarray in the country, uh, I don't recall that. Honestly, I don't recall that. I have to go back to the Carter administration. Yes. To recall that sense and, of... And, and that array. and that's a good that's a that's a good comparison. That's because right. Because we we had a sense that we were losing, and exactly. that's a ter- terrible feeling in America. That's exactly right. Well, thank you so much, Bill. As always, thank you, and have a great week. Well, thank you, Silvio. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, thank you. Our good friend Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda, just talking a little bit about these foreign policy challenges uh, that are many. I mean, just one of them could be a very serious, a very serious problem, whether it's Iran, North Korea, China, going into Taiwan. I mean, you just name one. Uh, Cuba, as I mentioned, could be a problem too, because Cuba desperately needs cash. And the Soviets, I mean, the Russians and the Chinese are more than willing to to give them, give the government money in order to get a military base close to the United States. So it's, it's a serious challenge. Uh, and I think 2024... We will be talking a lot about foreign policy. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.